Our good friends at Johnny O welcome you to this episode. And if you've listened to Rich Take on Sports, then you know two things are important. Sharing the impact of sports in people's lives and the Johnny O clothing brand, blending those East Coast classic styles with a SoCal vibe. I've been wearing Johnny O for several years, and now you can as well with 20% off your first order by using the promo code ARICHTAKE at johnny-o.com. Live your best life with the Johnny O style and use promo code ARICHTAKE at johnny-o.com for 20% off your first order. Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted built and inspired by the role of sports in their lives here's your host this is episode 138 thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen Rigidity and fear are two words that often keep many people from reaching their true potential in life. But for Vince Thompson, he's never been afraid to ask and also take a shot, and he's embraced pivots in his life. Currently, you'll find him as the founder, CEO, and chairman of Melt, the premier marketing agency for activating sports and entertainment properties. And since 2000, Melt has represented some of the biggest clients nationally, like Coca-Cola, while managing their sponsorship of ESPN's College Game Day, and has produced hundreds of live event experiences, as well as broadcast and digital content, including the Super Bowl, the Chick-fil-A Bowl, the SEC Championship, and the College World Series. From small-town Chatham, Alabama, Vince would attend Auburn University, which would set his path where he's been named one of Atlanta Business Chronicle's most admired CEOs in 2018. Our conversation with Vince Thompson. Vince, thank you, sir. Greatly appreciate it. Let me harass you for a little bit. You're welcome. Now, I love you wearing your Auburn. You got some pride in those Tigers, right? Got to show my... Got to show my, uh, my pride, my school colors. <laughs> well, I've, I've got my own school pride. Oh, yeah. but other Tigers. It's Clemson, though. I, I, I listen, I love so Clemson. So let the debate begin. I love Clemson. A dear friend of mine wrote uh, uh, at least one book, Lusa Hadi, about Clemson. Oh, yes. And uh, dear, he's been a, been a very dear friend. I'll tell you those stories. And uh, his daughter actually still lives there. But, uh, yeah, he's written a, uh, at least I know one book about Clemson, maybe two. Well, the question is the campus layout design what came first? Was it Clemson and then Auburn copied Clemson or was it the other way around? I think, I think there's a lot of mutual admiration there. They are mirror images. Yes. Actually. And uh, Clemson's a wonderful place. Auburn's a wonderful place. I mean, you know, these college towns are just, there's nothing like them uh, in, the, uh, in the country. I mean, there's just, there's nothing like these college towns. So what does Auburn mean to you? Well, it's interesting because, you know, and every school says this, but you you say the Auburn family. So I'll explain to you what I think that means. You have to understand, so in the state of Alabama, you're either Auburn or Alabama, and you basically grow up with that. And obviously Bear Bryant had a, uh, a lot of influence on that. But um, Alabama is sort of known as, you know, the bankers and the lawyers and the doctors. Auburn being a land-grant college, 
uh, tend, is, has tended to attract more rural students, such as I was coming out of a town of 800 in rural uh, lower Alabama. And so, um, so the student body, the composition is for some reason just a little different and it lends itself more to a familiar atmosphere. And then you have the small town sensibilities of Auburn uh, and, and then the types of studies that you find there being a land-grant institution. So they really truly say the Auburn family, it, it means a little bit more than just say an athletic connection. And, uh, and so, uh, but it, you know, I wouldn't, whatever limited success I've achieved in life, it certainly would not have happened without my experience there. So Auburn shaped you. Absolutely. Well, you have to understand, I grew up in a town of uh, rural Alabama, lower Alabama, as we call it. Yeah, L.A., right? L.A. <laughs> Don't get diffused with one red light. Los Angeles. Oh, yeah, that's small. 800 people. My dad was a mayor, had a grocery store, and it was a Mayberry-esque existence. And um, I went to Auburn, just wanted to be a sports writer and go back to the Mobile Press Register and be a reporter. And um, it was the biggest place I'd ever been outside of going to a Saints game in New Orleans or Opryland in Nashville, or you, you went to Disney World in Orlando. And so um, it was an overwhelming experience the first year. Never seen that many people, never seen that many, um, you know, and I, but I really immediately recognized uh, there, was a, there was a caste system of the rich kids and the not rich kids. How quickly did you realize that? Uh, pretty, pretty quick. Pretty quick, uh, because I had never seen uh, uh, an eyes-eyes shirt. I'd never seen tree-torn <laughs> tennis shoes. Uh, we call them tennis shoes. I'd never seen um, you know plaid britches. So I thought I'd really kind of landed on an alien planet. And, um, and I did not have any idea about fraternity lives or anything. No idea. And lived in an off-campus apartment. And so pretty quick, I was like, you know, I don't think I'm getting out of this college experience, what I'm supposed to be getting. I didn't know what that meant, but I just in, in, innately knew it, inherently knew it. So I went back to my hometown, Chatham, summer of, uh, of 80, uh, summer of uh, 81. Let's go, yeah, 81. And um, so when I went back to Auburn, I was determined that I was gonna try to figure out what that college experience meant. How to get more involved. Yeah, at some level, because I just didn't feel, I mean, short of me loving Auburn football, I just didn't feel connected to it. And so my first journalism class, I wasn't a very good student. Fortunately, I was a decent writer and um, was taught by the head of sports information, a guy named David Houston. And he described the press box and the locker room and all these amazing things. And, and after the class, I went up and took the shot. I said, hey, I want to be a part of that. I want to volunteer. And he said, well, come this afternoon. I was like, wow. And so not only did that moment change my life, David Housel also happened to be the faculty editor of the Auburn Plainsman. So I started writing for the school newspaper, and he was the house father at Phi Gamma Delta, the Fiji house. And he said, you need to come over and have lunch with me and these guys. And I go, well, my only perception of fraternities was uh, Animal House. He goes, no, 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 it's not like that. So I get over there and um, 
It's just, you know, guys like me. And so that single, and I joined. I, I'm still shocked that they let me <laughs> they in. And they put, you, right? Probably great regret. <laughs> uh, but that single moment, seminal moment, and by the time I had uh, graduated, I had produced hundreds of sporting events, uh, had been published hundreds of times, had a portfolio that thick, and made my best friends in the world through the Fiji house. So I tell these kids a couple things, like never be afraid to take that shot. Because if I hadn't taken that shot, it, my trajectory in my life would have been totally different. And that look all around you, particularly now with technology and all that, the um, college campus is the ultimate professional lab for a, a young aspiring professional in any capacity. What do you mean? Use me as the example. I mean, I was able to um, lay the foundation for my profession at the sports information department. And now there's an SEC network outpost there. There's sophisticated fan experiences. There's a sophisticated ticketing. You can uh, tutor athletes. And whether even if it's not sports or not, very sophisticated causes and fundraising. And, and even I tell these kids that even if they're working uh, at a Starbucks or a coffee shop, they're not just a waitress or a barista. They're on the front lines of customer service. So look all around you for these nuggets of, uh, of opportunities. Even if you're involved in a club or a Greek life or anything like that, any form of practical experience that can enhance the investment that you're making in your academic experience while also, you know, having the fun um, is, uh, you know, I, I, I highly encourage it. And that's why I like to go back to these, these schools and talk to these kids about that because they sometimes the, the most obvious answers right in front of you, they may not be aware that it's right there, you know, and nobody's, nobody's really told them. Nobody told me. It just was a, you know, divine intervention. Have you always been that type of person that is willing to take the shot, uh, to go up there and ask, uh, and not afraid to hear no, or, you know, not afraid to what the answer might be? Well, yeah. And, um, um, early on as a child, I uh, made my parents, you know, drive to drive me to get autographs uh, early on at the Senior Bowl that you know uh, Richard Todd played in. Um, you know, I'd go on the field after the game. In the old days, you get their chin straps. Uh, early on, um, I would write uh, letters to my professional heroes, such as Hank Aaron, for an autograph, and that's the days they would answer. Uh, I even talked my way. I think in when I was eleven. I'll have to find the photograph into the Atlanta Braves dugout. And my parents looked down and I'm actually having a conversation with Ralph Gar, who had happened to be the hitting <laughs> champion that year. Now think about all of those things in context of now, you could never get away with never. those things. So, so the thing I tell the kids is um, the, the letters N-O don't spell no, it's just the first two letters of not yet. And so... Uh, I've just been blessed that I was able to pursue my passion with zeal, but I had great parents who supported that pursuit of the passion. I was going to ask you where that came from. Where, where did that ability to not be afraid to I, I just ask think, those I questions? Think, I think, you know, uh, well, first of all, not knowing any better. And secondly, uh, the encouragement of my parents, you know, just like, you know, hey, these are people. Uh, they're probably honored that you want their autograph. And, uh, and so... Um, you know, and then, like I said, in those days, you know, it wasn't like the professional collectors and the autographs and all that. 
Uh, and so, you know, I've got a, you know, I'm at some of the, some of the great ones. So you can imagine when I got to Auburn and there's Bo Jackson and Charles Barkley and the big herd and Harvey Glantz, fastest man in the world and Rowdy Gaines, one of the greatest swimmers of all time. Uh, you know, you're surrounded by this, but then you realize they're people too. They, they actually, they have exceptional skills to do things. But, uh, so, uh, now, you know, like I said, with these kids, now the college students is that you have all the tools in front of you in your hand. In the old days, you'd have to go to the library and go to the yeah. white pages encyclopedia. And now you possess all so this much information. information. Oh, so much, information. so much information. You just have to be proactive to do it. You have to be proactive, but, but, you know, in fairness, a lot of the kids, they, they just, they, they wouldn't be conditioned to think that way. Uh, it was always just second nature to me. So, you know, I, I really have not really, I'm still the kid, you know, and that's why doing what I do never gets old and, you know, being able to do it with amazingly bright, talented people in the world of, uh, you know, sport. What was life like growing up, the son of a mayor in a small town? Was there added pressures on you that there might now, be a spotlight? I was because- Taylor. Okay. <laughs> I fished 200 days a year, um, you know, worked in the grocery store, sang in the choir, the volunteer fire department, played sports, not very good at it, but loved it, played it, um, wrote about it, um, rode your bike. Um, yeah, I mean, I knew that I had a higher responsibility, um, you know, because my dad was the mayor and had the town grocery and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, did you have conversations with your dad about that? Um, only when I would veer into getting in trouble. <laughs> How often was that, uh, though? About, about, it was about <laughs> twice, because that was, that was uh, uh, my, I never had any ill words with my dad except those two couple times. But, uh, uh, but I mean, it was just, uh, it's just a different, you know, like we were talking about, you know, there's no cell phones and all these crazy things. I mean, you just went outside and you played in every game was a world series or super bowl. And then you were just home at dark. I mean, that was pretty much it. So like I said, my na- I had a n- narrow view of the world when I got to Auburn. And so uh, not, maybe not narrow, but I just had been in this insular environment. Right. And uh, so yeah, it was, a, it was, a, it was, that was kind of my first dose of reality when I got there, but I'm like, you know, I think I'm, decently intelligent and I know I'll outwork people and it may take me a day or two, uh, but I'm going to do something special. And I really didn't know what that was other than I I knew I wanted it. Well, first of all, I really wanted to be Mark McCormick. I really wanted to be the, the, the agent, the IMG, Jerry McGuire and all that. Uh, I didn't have the means or the resources or the tools to do that because I thought you had to go to law school to, to start that, I didn't have the grades and I didn't have the money. So I'm like, well, I'm here at sports information. I fall in love with the business of college sports. Um, I think that's where I'll, I'll pursue the, you know, the, the, the route. Yeah. It seemed like at the time for, I remember growing up as well, that yeah, agents, they were lawyers and I, they were all lawyers. They, I thought the same thing. They were all lawyers. You have to be a lawyer to be some type of agent. Well, it was, driven, it was driven things. by contracts at the time. Yes. And I was still driven by contracts, but like, it was you know the primary source of in- income was that contract you negotiated with that team. That's right. It wasn't the marketing. No. outside no. of I mean, and, and the if salary. You, if you look at what uh, what Jimmy Sexton has done um, and the stories 
amazing and what he's been able to pull off. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an unbelievable, you know, story. And, and, and I, and I tell him when I talk to him that, I, that I envy that, that he, he was able to pursue that path and, and that I didn't pursue that path. And, but he'll tell you it was, it was for him, it was, you know, it was a divine intervention as well through you know, being roommates with Reggie White. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's crazy how one thing like that can lead yep. to a, a yep. career, what he's and been Jimmy's, able to do. And Jimmy's, you know, he's got those same, you know, kind of, you know, small town sensibilities as well. And when we, when, when we negotiate a deal, He's just as, you know, he's tough, but he's, he's, he's fair and, and, and straightforward. And as that's what you want. Long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Give me a nice handshake. Yeah, we and- did, we did uh, coach Saban and Aflac and, um, you know, a lot of people said, there's no way you'll get this done. And I'm like, yeah, we'll get it done. Uh, cause, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy's, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a great negotiator, but so. It's, uh, you know, it certainly has not been boring. <laughs> no, it hasn't. Still is not. I know it's not. What was it about sports writing? Why did you have this affinity that you wanted to be a sports writer? What was the, the beauty of, I guess, the written word with sports? I think uh, back in the old days, like, like when you went to your mailbox and you got Sports Illustrated and the Sporting News that week, uh, or you got the Mobile Press Register in the afternoon, just reading about those exploits and reading about them on the baseball cards and, you know, the old days of Pat Summerall and Keith Jackson and Monday Night Football and Howard Cosell and the Dan DeRue and Joe Gargiola on Saturday. I mean, I'm like, man, this is, you know, I'm not going to be able to play it professionally, but I want to be a part of it. And, uh, and even to the point, our annual summer vacation used to be um, an Atlanta Braves game, which was a big venture, right? It's a big and, deal. And, and my favorite team was the Big Red Machine. So um, I, uh, this, is how, this is how bad it was, I would, I would call the Reds organization on the landline and say, where is the team going to stay while they're playing the Braves? And I would make my parents stay at that hotel and I would camp out in the lobby so I could meet my heroes. And so I've, I've still got the cards. I hit the trifecta. I, I got Pete Rose. I got Johnny Bench. I got Joe Morgan. I got Tony Perez. I got Dave Concepcion. I got George Foster. I was like, you know, like I'm just camped out in the, in the, in the lobby. And so, so, but I go back to my parents, like, you know, I think about that now. I'm like, man, they must have thought I was insane. That like dragging them to Atlanta and camping out in the lobby and calling. I mean, who does that when you're 11 or 12 years old, right? I think it's crazy. So, I mean, I have some of those similarities where I would do that in Atlanta. Not so much calling, but I would go camp out. But yeah. I think it's amazing that you would call. I mean, and- you can't even go on the field now at the senior bowl and get a chin strap. I'm surprised I'm- they even gave you that information. But back then. I mean, I just say, hey, I'm a. You know, I'm I'm a big fan, and we're we're, my, we're coming to see the game, and and um, I just I want to stay where the team is so I can get autographs. And they go, oh, okay, well they're at the downtown Marriott. <laughs> okay, not even a million years would that happen today. I, no, it's amazing. I never forget the first time I saw Pete Rose. He was coming down the stairs of the Marriott Marquis, and he had a burgundy or maroon velour tuxedo. And had a bow tie, and I was like, "Oh my God, this is you know larger than life." And 
Many, many years later, I did a deal with him through Danny Sheridan, Big Eyes Maker. And I said, I know there's no way in hell you're going to remember this. But as a kid, I encountered you and got your autograph. Where were you going? And he knew where he was going. I can't tell you what he said, <laughs> but he said, oh, yeah, I remember that night. I said, because it just struck me, why would you be dressed this way? And um, he just said, well, let's just say I had a good time that evening in Atlanta, yeah. Georgia. That's amazing. And that would have been 74, 75, 76. We won the 75 World Series against the Sox. Carlton Fisk game six, game seven. So it may have been the, it may have been 76. Well, I would have been 14. Amazing. Why did you become a Cincinnati Reds fan? Well, because they were the best team in baseball, and people forget there was only one game of the week. So they played a lot on Saturday afternoons. Tony Kubek and Joe Giorgio, so I'm like, and I was a catcher. So, I mean, I wanted to be Johnny Benson. If I, if I wasn't, I was, you know, I was a second baseman, and I loved Joe Morgan. So it's easy to gravitate towards those guys because they're winning. That's the way I was with the Dallas Cowboys. When I was growing up, I mean, it was Dallas Cowboys. It was well, Roger Stallback. Well, I was thinking about that. They were the only ones on TV, yes, too. Yes, I mean, of people course. Don't, people don't, the, you know, I tell my son there were only three television channels and one baseball game of the week, one Monday night football, and one college football game, and one uh, or two NFL games. He looks at me like, you know, I'm, you know, from another Of planet, course. And which we were back then. Yeah, I remember. I was the remote control. You know, hey, go change the channel. I'd have to get up and go change the channel oh, yeah. for my parents. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's right. We it were was, the remote control. It was a different time back then. Totally different. When did it hit you then at Auburn or when you were getting ready to graduate that you started figuring out exactly what you wanted to do within sports and that it wasn't necessarily going to be a, a true sports journalist type of um, opportunity? That's a good question. I, um, you know, in hindsight... I should have stayed in Auburn and, 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 and worked within the athletic department. And that's when the, also the rights fees industry, Jim Hurst and others were, were beginning to evolve. Um, so why do you feel that you should have stayed? Well, I, uh, I took a job in Birmingham um, for really no reason other than a booster I'd encountered at Auburn, uh, had a bank in Birmingham and, I got I actually got an offer from Turner because Turner used to come over and string cable. I string cable with Ted Turner when they were in five or ten million homes, and and um, they offered me fourteen thousand dollars to move over here, and and um, I was like, well, I can't live on that. And the offer in Birmingham was was more lucrative, and it was with somebody that I knew. And people forget cable; the cable industry was a very nascent industry, and so. Um, Got to Birmingham and uh, it was for a bank and you might as well have dropped me uh, on Mars and got fired after uh, six months. <laughs> right, give me the story then. How did you get fired? I had no idea, that, but I, I still don't have any idea that they just walked in and said, you're, you're fired. I go. But obviously you didn't love what you were doing then. Clearly I was not fit. <laughs> and uh, the round head peg in the square hole certainly applies. But... Um, it wound up being, you know, one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. And that's what I tell kids is like, uh, you're going to get thrown off the saddle. Uh, it's not a question of that. It's a question of how you get back on it. And so uh, that was the first uh, real rude awakening because you're like without a job and you're broke. And so um, that, that uh, but then I, uh, I had a mild interest in Alabama politics because my dad was a mayor. 
went to work for a uh, governor's campaign and we promptly just get clobbered. Uh, so I was 0 for 2. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I got to get serious about this. And uh, fortunately, Birmingham now, but at the time, there was Legion Field and there was the Crimson Tide and there was, um, you know, uh, very vibrant sports scene. The Alabama gang of NASCAR, the Allisons, the Bonnets, oh, and yes. Hueytown was there. Uh, the Goth Channel was being formed in Birmingham, believe it or not. And so, um, and there were a lot of actually fishing and outdoor recreation companies in Alabama. So by divine intervention, there was a great agency there that was way ahead of its time in sports and recreation and consumer goods. And uh, they needed a guy to write press releases. So I walk in with this big portfolio of articles that had been published at Auburn. And uh, they're, they're like, all right, we're well, hired. And uh, it was Nirvana because they had a lot of fishing companies and I love to fish. And so I was going to fishing tournaments and we were doing cable television shows back then. You could get anything placed on the ESPN. And um, I spent seven years there and it was, it was, it really was an amazing uh, extension of my apprenticeship uh, at Auburn. At Auburn so yeah. uh, those were very formative years working for the gentleman, Barry Huey. That was really good. Um, and then um, had a uh, uh, encounter first encounter at Auburn, by the way, the Auburn, Alabama game uh, with a gentleman named Richard Scrushy, who was a very famous entrepreneur in sports medicine and healthcare, founded a company called Health South, built it to four billion. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, Dr. Jim Andrews, Dr. Yes. Larry Lemack, and um, was able to, I, again, I took my shot. I'd been trying to get his business for years, saw him in the hallway at the Auburn, Alabama game and, and said, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to do something with you. I want to work with you. And, um, um, he's like, well, come on. So here I am at 30, uh, flying around on these fancy private jets that I'd never been on, uh, <laughs> with a guy who was, a you know, uh, had created a multi-billion dollar, uh, company from scratch. Uh, and, uh, again, you know, so I was, you know, taking the shot yeah. and it, 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 what did you learn from that experience? The scene, you know, the inner uh, workings well, of... Well, I, I wanted to learn about public finance because I, I had never really understood it all and still don't understand it, but but really wanted to be exposed to that. Uh, I wanted to work in a uh, in a corporate environment one time. Um, I wanted to be able to have the... Because I'd always sort of been on the sell side. And so, you know, working for a company going on the buy side, I wanted to see what that experience was about. Uh, and he was such a, uh, you know, brilliant entrepreneur that you could bring him the craziest ideas and he would never tell you they were crazy. In fact, he would probably add more to it and make it even a crazier idea. And so we had a, we had a lot of success together. We did a, a traveling kids road show that had Michael Jordan and Bo Jackson and Dr. Andrews. It impacted millions of kids' lives. Um, we, you know, did a major deal with the Coca-Cola company, which led me to this agency, starting this agency, um, you know, did a big deal with Disney, uh, helped, you know, stage major professional events. We, we were trying to get a dome built in Birmingham. We were thinking about acquiring a professional football team. Uh, you know, I'm on a sailboat in the, with Dr. Jim Andrews. Um, you know, I'm doing a deal with Christopher Reeve. I mean, it was, uh, it was a whole, different 
level of exposure. And so, um, but also, I was also like, you know, I don't think I want to be in corporate America the rest of my life. I want to go, I, I want to do, I want to do something on my own. And quite honestly, I had sort of, um, I'd sort of outgrown Birmingham. Uh, it's a great town. Um, it's a smaller town. It's uh, governed by a lot of old money. And I was like, I want to go to a bigger pond and I want to see if I'm as smart as I think I am. And if I'm not, failure was only the failure to try. And if I'm going to fail, I'm going to do it on my own terms because I can always go back to work for somebody else. You don't and seem like a corporate guy. I probably, but that's the understatement <laughs> of the day. Um, yeah, that, that, and, and, and that's, yeah, I think a lot of people would probably agree with that statement. Yes. So from that time, then you start feeling that want something bigger. Is that when you had this thought, this, I don't know if dream is the right word, but of creating your own agency and this, what you Well, founded? there was a, there was, there was a, it was this weird um, tug in my gut. And it never would go away for about two years, two, three years. Describe that. It was just this omnipresent feeling that um, there was something else out there. Uh, the clock was running in my head as I was, you know, beginning to be in my 30s. Uh, some people said, well, your success is only based on the fact that Richard's successful and you've got this mm -hmm. machine behind you. And I was thinking that part of that's true, but also part of it's not. And, um, and, uh, you know, when, you know, Tracy, uh, my wife, uh, at the time got pregnant with Carter, we were like, and I was like, if I don't do, if I don't dive in the deep end now, by the time he gets here, I'll be so risk averse. I'll never do it. And I may walk through life with the regret that I didn't do it. Yeah. Did you feel that way? Because you seem like a guy that is open to risk. I mean, you've, you've been able to take risks. Yeah, I mean, when, you, you, when, you, when, you, when you don't, when you, when you come from basically nothing, I, I mean, we had great life. I never wanted for anything, but, you know, wanting, you know, great wealth like Buckhead or Mountain Brook or, you know, something like that. Um, you, you, you tend to be more risk-taking and risk-tolerant because you're like, well, what do I really have to lose? You know, like I, I, I can always go to work for somebody else. I, I know I've got talent and things to go do that. So I was like, what are, yeah. And, and the other thing is I would, I would be doing deals and activities with people at the highest levels. And over time, I would say to myself, I'm like, well, I'm as smart as they are. I'm, so this confidence. It started building. Not ego, but confidence started building in that I was like, well, hey, I'm sitting here with Newt Gingrich. I'm sitting here with, with Bo Jackson. I'm sitting here with Jim Andrews. I'm sitting here with Michael Jordan. They're just like me from the ability to have discussions and negotiations. And, and I always knew my ideas were, were bigger than, and, and better. I just I knew that fortunately I had this innate talent or gift or whatever it is some people might call it being uh, BS, full of BS, <laughs> and there's probably some degree of truth in that as well. But um, um, I was just like, hey, I can do this. Um, and I didn't really know what that meant. I just mm -hmm. knew the space I wanted to do it in. And Atlanta was coming out of a post-Olympic halo. 
and it was on fire and it was this giant upward trajectory. So I'm like, hey, you know, what do we got to lose? So what was the moment then? I mean, did you wake up one morning and said, this is what I'm doing? It, it evolved uh, over uh, probably 99, but particularly when, when, when Tracy became pregnant. So May, June, 99. And, and there were some, uh, which has been very well documented, but there were, some, there were some things going on within the HealthSouth organization that made me uncomfortable. I remember clearly that. it was one of the largest frauds in corporate right. history, uh, which I was not a part of. Uh, but I just, I, that was, that was the other, it was like, I'm really ready to evolve out of Birmingham. I want to be an entrepreneur. I've got a kid coming and something's not right here. Yes. So you had all these factors and we know life is timing. Right. And, and it was timing and, for you. you know, part of me wanted to go back to Laura, Alabama and go to the beach, go live at Orange Beach, Gulf, Gulf of Mexico. But I also said, you know, I'm young. Um, let me go try my hand in the big pond and, um, and if it doesn't work, then we'll figure something else out. And so, uh, um, you know, I, re I remember that first drive on I 20 East looking in the rear view mirror, uh, with a seven month pregnant wife going, man, what have, what have I done? What have we done? And like, uh, you know, and, and I'm like, Oh my God. So, so was uh, there a true sense of being afraid? Oh Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, I was, I, I made a good living. Uh, we lived in the house that Michael Jordan lived in, in Birmingham. Um, I flew around on private jets, you know, uh, we did fancy things all the time, exposure stuff. Uh, when I walked away, people were like, man, he's lost his mind. He's crazy. And it, it, there were times when I'm like, yeah, I have, but you know, when you're, you know, like when you're like the Walindas and you're walking across that, that canyon without a safety net, you just keep walking because you don't have a choice. And, yeah, you uh, made the commitment now. By the way, when you got another mouth to feed, that's a whole that's a whole another bailiwick. So, uh, uh, so at that time, you know, I um, I took on anything that I could do. But fortunately, through some relationships I'd made at Health South with a family in Birmingham that happens to own one of the largest Coca Cola bottlers, and we had done a big deal between health south and coca-cola company the, the talking about paths and doors i had met some of the senior leadership at mothership coca-cola and when i moved over here and i had we had worked and helped them launch powerade with our athletic trainers and all that uh my first my literally my first assignment and my first client working out of my home in chastain park um, was an assignment to keep managing athletic trainer relationships for Powerade on behalf of the Coca-Cola company and the colleges. And that was it. So I'm slapping coolers. I'm, <laughs> I'm slapping Powerade, you know, so I've gone from private jets to the back of an airplane, you know, uh, slapping sports drinks around, but I was damn glad to have that. Were you enjoying it at that time? Oh, you yeah. loved it. Well, yeah, I just felt unshackled too. Yeah. You know, I'm in this new place. Uh, I'm away from the corporate grind. Uh, it was it, it was all about me, and this is the thing I tell these kids: is that when I walked out of Hell South and I left Hell South, I made a, a target list of, of uh, 100 professional contacts that I had made over my 37 years, and uh, I assigned a monetary value to them 
to um, begin calling on them saying, hey, I'm going to get in the marketing business because I think my ideas are better. And if I could hit this particular goal in year one to get this much income, I'll know I'll be able to feed my family that year. So that was a pretty simple business strategy. So the thing I tell these kids as part of that professional lab at the colleges is um, you're surrounded by these amazing contacts, the sponsors, the people that come on campus, speak careers, the alumni, the, um, you know, the alumni that run major companies that you want to target. Tim Cook at, at, uh, at, at Apple is an Auburn grad, for instance, you know, uh, the CFO of Delta Auburn grad. So like, like, Mind those contacts and relationships early. Get you some business cards. Get you some note cards where you can read a, write a handwritten note. You're showing that person who you are. And if they're going to invest in you as an employee, you're showing um, the self-starting and initiative and that uh, commitment early of how you will be a future employee. So that's part of a lot of stuff I tell the kids. Of course. Was there a moment or do you have a few times where you're like, what the hell? I'm from lower Alabama and look at me. Look what I've, look what we're doing right now. I mean, do you have memories of yeah. sitting there reflecting yeah. I mean, if you I, can in the moment? Because I know in the moment it's hard to reflect, but. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. That's a, that's a multifaceted question. One, I had always operated with a chip on my shoulder because of being in the small town. I use that as sort of a motivational like, like when I saw Rocky one, I'm like, yeah, I can relate to that. Uh, then as I was starting the climb, I, I'm a, I'm a, I think I'm a, just a, a, a nice person with a heart by nature. When I got into the, and I had just sort of been oblivious to it, but when I started my own company and move over to this big city and I'm taking people at their, face value in their word and I'm getting clobbered and people are saying all these crazy things and who's this crazy guy and where do you think he come from? And, 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 and I'm like, man, these guys are saying all these crazy things. about So at that switch went off. I'm like, you know, I gotta, I gotta fight. So I always had this sort of this, uh, fighter mentality, but I also was going to stay true to who I was. And so I'm not sacrificing my values. Um, I'm, I'm going to tell you what I think. And some people like it and some don't. And those who don't, probably don't want to do business with them anyway. And some who do, you gravitate to and you build from. Uh, but then there were, there, were, there were just amazing times of great pride. And still, walking in those corridors of the Coca-Cola company never gets old to me. It's like the first time. Walking onto those sidelines and in the, in, the, in, the, in the tunnels and locker room never gets old to me. Uh, but then, I also like to say, that uh, I'm sort of the a poster child for crisis. So lower Alabama, success at college, fired from first job, losing campaign, second job, giant jobs, walk away from it all, start over, big city, newborn, 9-11, uh, personal divorce, recession, uh, corporate divorce, pandemic. I'm like... <laughs> Like, like, so that's what I try to share my story because I'm like, you know, you can do it. You can overcome it. You can keep moving. You keep grinding. You stay focused. You can have a, a great deal of belief in yourself and, 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 and great faith. And, and now with the world moving so fast, you have to treat one another the way you want to be treated. You have to treat the other person because you don't know when all this is coming around. And I even tell kids like, 
1982, I'm driving Dick Vitale and Brent Musburger and Paul Feinbaum to the airports from Auburn, and now I'm doing deals with them. Now I'm in business with them. So guys, you just don't know. You don't. And now with it, you know, my old man, you know, says the ball turns, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But I say now it's like 24 seconds and seven seconds. <laughs> and so, um, so never, you know, I learned a phrase from uh, Coach Dye and, and Coach Stallings. I was having dinner with him one night, which was priceless. And I said, what's the secret? And uh, they said, Coach, Dye, uh, Coach, Coach Brian always used to say, always play like you're seven points down. And so I've always played that way, and I'll try to instill that into um, the organization that, you know, like what's the – we've represented Coca-Cola for 20 years. That's unheard of. What's the secret? Never take them for granted. Always be honest. Build that trust and, you know, work like hell. And so um, – and that's the secret to any relationship, which I wish I had learned a lot earlier – and which I try to impart that, you know, on the kids, but, uh, uh, and then just, you know, keep grinding. And as I say, you don't drive a car through the rear view mirror, you drive it through the windshield. So that way, that forward focus in this type of industry, obviously, you know, with all of the, the publicity, there's people around and all that. And you talk about staying true to yourself and your foundations and values. How hard is that? Cause it seems like, People try to do that, but they get trapped and they they go down the path just for the, the quick dollar or, you know, they start taking it's, shortcuts. It, 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 it's hard. Um, but I think if you were if you were raised or grounded in a certain type of values, which mine were sort of small town sensibilities. But it is I mean, listen, I'm a again, I'm a poster child for knee scrape and entrepreneurial uh, mistakes and. I'm a dreamer, so I mean, I've chased tons of rainbows. And um, you, you didn't find, always catch them either, though, right? Most of them didn't. Uh, but that's the other thing is I'm not just, I'm not afraid to, to chase them, you know, because there's going to be another one. And so that's the kind of thing about ideas. It's like, aren't you worried about people steal your ideas? I'm like, not really, because there's going to be another one. But it's yeah, not even staying true to your values, just stay sort of true to yourself if you can. Uh, but there are so many more, you know, temptations and paths in society now. Uh, but 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 that also those tests, you know, irons forged on iron. I mean, those tests, that metal, um, that grit comes with just, you know, you know, my old man always said just, you know, he's a poker player. Uh, keep enough chips to stay in the game. And you're going to draw a hand. You're going to draw some cards. They're going to. They're going to. At some point, you're going to draw some cards. And so, that was kind of, you know, always my thing is like, I don't have the big. I don't need to have the biggest stack. I just need to be at the table, and I'm going to cast some cards. A putt's going to fall, uh, but it's you know just just. But sheer, you got to be there. You got to keep doing it, right? You, you, it's sheer tenacity. Yeah. Sheer grinding. Uh, that was the other. That was another thing about Coach Bryant. Just always put yourself in position to win. You may not win them all, but be in the position to win. And so, uh, and that's kind of what we try to instill uh, within this organization. Why do you think it is in terms of society, the world, that there's this, this gravitational pull towards sports? And obviously we're seeing it now just 
everybody's, you know, wanting sports to get back to normalcy. Why do you think it's I think um, it, it, it brings together a sense of togetherness. Uh, when Even when you're sort of in a stadium with 80,000 people, it, 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 you might be pulling for the, for, the, for the other team. It's just, you know, uh, it's uh, bonding. Uh, it's emotional connections. Um, it's, um, you know, sort of a, um, the ultimate reality show. It's a sense of escape. Uh, it's the admiration of the, uh, the, you know, the preparation that the, 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 the athletes have, have made to be in a part of that. I think that's why the Olympics have always, because it's so emotional. And, you know, these kids prepare for 10, 20 years, and in four seconds or four minutes, it's over or whatever. Um, I think um, uh, it's, it's been uh, woven, interwoven in the fabric of the society. Um, and so I think, you know, I think everybody's like, you know, we, we, we knew we loved sports, but we didn't realize how much we loved it or how much we would miss it. And, and that's all the way down to, you know, youth baseball and youth sports and community. And I, I jog every day in this park here, Chastain Park, and the jogging surrounds all these beautiful youth baseball fields. And they're just stunningly silent. And you can almost see the dirt and the grass because you can smell it. And, and it's quieter because there's fewer cars and, and all that. But you, you can just hear that grass almost like, weeping for these kids to come back, you know? And uh, even last night as I was jogging, they've closed the public golf course. So there are people out on the course picnicking things. There was actually a little league baseball team having a practice on the public fairway of the public golf course. <laughs> so I'm like, that's what it's about. Yes. <laughs> they, they wasn't going to, this, this, you know, can't be stopped. Right. 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 And they were socially distanced and, and all that, but it was just—it was just so poignant. Um, I just—I stopped my 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 jog, and I just admired it. You know, I was like, "Man, that would have been me," you know. And uh, I mean, they couldn't have been more than eight years old. So it was just—you know—it's kind of great you know, image. It kind of reminds you, you know, really what's important. But um, hopefully, sports will be back soon. What motivates you today? Uh, what motivates me today? There's several things that motivate me. One, I want to take care of my family. Um, still secondly, uh, doing the best work in the world, still being the best third, um, we're using this, um, period, uh, during this pandemic, if we don't lose anybody to, you know, to health, um, to sort of repivot the business, it's, it's kind of a gift that you can hit the reset button after being in business 20 years. Um, and, um, we always wanted to evolve uh, our intern program, we have a tremendous intern program called Melt University based on my experience at Auburn. And I go talk to a bunch of kids and we, we had 40 kids coming in this summer, but I really wanted, I always wanted to do more with it. I wanted to evolve it into a um, virtual format and share it with more than those 40 kids. And so we've been able to evolve that. We're going to have a series of podcasts and webcasts and things like this uh, where um, we're going to have the best people in the industry sharing their uh, career path with a much with thousands of kids right and so hopefully we'll motivate and inspire uh I, i'm first time i you know like had the time to stop and write the book so i'm putting all the things that i speak to these kids about um about how to get this uh, your first job 
I'm putting them into this in book and share it with a, a much greater, wider audience. And I've always wanted to do that. So, you know, uh, the, you know, the headers doing the things with the time that you never thought you had the time to do. And so, uh, so that'll be out. It's called You Have Me in Hello, What Successful Job Seekers Do in a Post-COVID Environment. And so very excited about that. I'm going I'm to I'm teach a chapter each week online, and then we're going to have these, you know, the commissioner of the PGA and, and uh, the president of ESPN and uh, President Atlanta Hawks sharing their wisdom, which so in a virtual format, I'm able to help continue to connect the, and educate these kids. And so uh, a lot of silver linings, like I said, yes. if you don't lose anybody. Um, so um, I call it the, the grand pivot, the great reckoning, uh, doing everybody, even, even walking through the park and seeing these families picnic at a five o'clock on a Thursday or Friday, when you'd be caught in traffic or literally kids practicing in the fairway of a golf course, you know, stopping and smelling the roses and things of that nature. And really, you know, a, a self-examination of, of what's important, what's not, but, uh, but being able to really help, uh, this next generation of, of uh, event and sports professional marketers, um, you know, I didn't have anybody tell me to run through these doors at Auburn. Fortunately, I had a fortunate encounter with the sports information director. But if, if I can just enlighten and, and help one kid, but we got kids that have, you know, all over, you know, Chick-fil-A, Coca-Cola, Home Depot, PGA, ESPN, the Falcons, the Broncos, the Bears, um, They've got this wonderful group of kids who's you know, part of the legacy of Melt and part of my legacy. And and uh, yeah, why does that have become so important to you to create? Well, it was always this... important. Yeah, why? Always, I made a commitment to myself early on. I'm like, if I ever get in a position to help kids like me, I'm going to do that because I didn't have a handbook, I didn't have a manual. I just saw a closed door, and I'm like, I'm going to ram through it. And uh, so, if I can, if, I've now been, you know been given this platform and given this gift and given these opportunities to do what I love. And, 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 and lots of kids want to be in sports. They want to be in music. They want to be in esports. They want to be in festivals. They want to be in event production. And, 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 and it, and it, it is sexy and it is glamorous, but it's also the grind. And so I'm like, you need to go see early if this is something like it's fun to go to an Auburn game, but be behind the scenes and behind oh, the curtain, yeah. putting that, that, putting it on. It ain't. It's yeah. It's, you it's, ready to be lugging a cooler in the hot July summer? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And be and be willing to do what it takes. I, yeah. That's what I tell the kids. I said I'm, I'm still doing what you're doing. I'm just doing it at a different level now. It's like 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 they say. Well, what business are you in? I'm like I'm in the rejection business. <laughs> I get told no 99 times out of 100. And uh, but you know, no is first two letters are not yet or whatever. So. Um, if I can, if I can share any of that wisdom or impart that, because uh, it's 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 tougher on this generation. It moves fast. The standards are higher. Uh, the social media. Uh, everybody thinks they're going to be the next Mark Zuckerberg, but you don't read about the ninety nine of the hundred who weren't. Uh, so there's a the, 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 an expectation or a false expectation or um, a sense that the there's going to be immediate gratification. And I, I, it's like hitting the lottery. That's immediate gratification, but a lot of people don't hit the lottery. So grind, 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 and, grind. grind. And, and, and I'm still grinding it, you know, 40 years later. So, um, 
uh, and and so if I can, if I just you know, like I said, if I can reach one kid, um, that was you know that was that's, that'll be a good accomplishment, and just you know, be the best sports marketing guy of all time, whatever that means. That's right. <laughs> However, that's defined. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's um, not one definition for that. No. Uh, I mean, by the standards and the benchmarks that that there are and that we've set, I think we're in decent company. Um, and we've always punched, uh, you know, above our weight class. Obviously, things have changed over the couple of decades that you started Melt. And just obviously, even in your career, especially from a marketing standpoint, as we're seeing now with athletes having all of these different types of endorsement deals, and now even name, image, and likeness really taking shape within college athletics. And what's your view on that and how that is going to impact college athletics and what it might mean? Well, I've been around college athletes for 40 years. I got on campus at Auburn in 1980. And um, I've always believed that they should be able to take advantage more financially uh, of that commitment uh, that they've made, whether in the old days it was selling an autograph program, uh, selling the tickets they used to get, selling your game worn jersey, um, getting paid to make an appearance, I, I always knew that I thought there was a disparity. It didn't matter for a long time until the money got really big, and so, um, and I, I say this sort of tongue in cheek to your guy Dabo, um, why should you be able to make 10 to $15 million a year if Trevor can't make the same money in the same environment and the same opportunities? And so um, I think it's going to be a positive thing. Um, you know, everybody talks about boosters and bad apples. Well, there have always been boosters and bad always. apples. Always. Okay. So where I see huge opportunities uh, is – uh, and, and people roll their eyes at me, but the non-revenue athletes are going to be able to, because they're usually paying their way. I use the women, Auburn women's equestrian team. They're paying their way. They're committed. They spend the time practicing. They spend the time studying. Uh, why can't they showcase themselves for their careers? Why can't they uh, get a deal with a saddle company? That's brand new money coming into the sport and the athletic department and the kid, and let's figure out a way to split that compensation. Maybe it goes part to finance the program. They're cutting sports now because of the athletic department budgets. So I think overall long-term, it's going to be a great thing. I think so too. Uh, I think that, uh, and I've said this on the record, there's seismic shifts coming in college athletics, and it has caused a forced modernization of the NCAA, which is long overdue. And so, um, because 99.9% of these kids don't play professional sports. So if a kid can make five or $10,000 a year, um, or position themselves with, for a job in the equine industry, that's a big deal. Yes, it is. And so that's tends to, you know, where I'm, 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 I'm focusing, uh, my brains and energy and influence and, thought process and business around creating those opportunities for those, those mm -hmm. kids. Because when I hire, um, I always say hiring student athletes and, and um, former military personnel are the two greatest 
types of people you can hire. Self-starters, initiative, coachable, discipline, up early, adversary, uh, obstacles overcoming, and so that. So um, I think it's, I think if you look holistically, I think uh, college esports is going to explode because those kids already have an expectation they're going to get paid. And why was Jake Fromm at Georgia not able to get paid? But if my son, who was a freshman at Georgia, able to post a video or play college sports, esports and get paid, what's, What's the difference? That's what I've been and, and by the way, confused we're not about even the talking whole time. About, not even talking about the First Amendment. We're not even talking right. about like those types of things. You know, like they suspended some receiver over at Georgia for selling his jersey. I mean, give me a break. Exactly. And so, so I think it's going to be especially uh, as the NCAA talks about it's student first and then an athlete, right? So, student athlete, but that student athlete doesn't have the same rights or abilities as a student can go, they can use their name, image, and likeness and earn money. But just because right. they signed a scholarship, they can't. Yeah, and that's complex, wrong. It's a, it's a complex issue, and, and, and it, but it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. And I agree. So, so let's remove the complexities. Uh, is it, are there going to be some hiccups and skin knees? Absolutely. And to your point, there's going to be some bad apples. There's, Somebody's going to do yeah. something wrong. But there's 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 been bad apples since the beginning of time. <laughs> exactly. So uh, so it's that's that's really not that's not going to change a hell of a lot. So um, I think there'll be growing pains in the process, but I think, like I said, it's going to be a it's going to be a good thing. Um, and because and I and I, and I tack back to career development because most of these kids don't have the time to. To search the, I, you'd be shocked the the intern applications I get from student athletes, but they get it through ad hoc and word of mouth and friends and family because they don't have the time to use the traditional career development within the within the within the university of that college or that school and those types of things. And so, yeah, their athletic requirements are ridiculous. Yeah, so 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 like if they have an opportunity to talk about themselves and get compensated for it and build an audience, and build a platform, um, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, uh, there's always going to be the Tua's and the Trevor's and the Burroughs and the Bo Nix's and all of that, uh, but let's talk about the hundreds of that. And here's another thing. There's going to be so much new money come in from legitimate new money from sponsorships because so at Auburn, there's, what, 15 or 20 categories you can sponsor. And so now I may be able to go out to a lot of companies that cater to a female target and whatever that is. And, and then, and then endemic, when I say endemic, like a saddle or a, a, or a boot company for riders, I think there's going to be so much new money coming in from that channel that we haven't even contemplated. And so, um, I, 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 again, I, there's, there's nothing to me, but upside. I agree. And, 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 but what you find is the mentality is different from those who make the rules in college athletics because a lot of times they're academicians and administrators versus a guy in the for-profit world like myself. So our lens is different. Different, it is. And so if we can figure out a way to meld those two minds and let's ask the student-athletes. You know, like, what do yeah, you think? Yeah, are we getting like, their like, voice like, heard? Right, right. Maybe because, not. Because, like, my son's 20 and I'm 57. 
There's a whole big <laughs> gap in the way we think about things. Yes. And his, and that's the other thing that's been missed in this conversation debate. This is the most sophisticated consumer ever because of the technology and the mobile and the wireless and the social and the access to information and ability to communicate. So that's been lost in this translation as well. So I think it's, uh, you know, I, I knew when the EA O'Bannon thing started, I said, this is just the tip of the iceberg. And so... Something's uh, going to change. Well, it had to. It wasn't right. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd run into Bo or Charles and I'd say, I saw you in this video game. Did you get any compensation? Well, no. I'm like, well, that doesn't seem right. That money is going to EA. It's going to the NCAA. It's going to the member institutions. It's going to the Collegiate Licensing Corporation. But you're the... You're the composition, you're the talent, the composition of the game. And so, you know, it, it shouldn't have stayed in the courts that long. And if you look at the legal fees that the NCAA has expended, that money could have gone back into the pot. <laughs> the only people that are making money are the lawyers. Which is usually the case. <laughs> I mean, they're lobbying Congress right now. I mean, it just so, so uh, I think it's, there's, there's, yeah. obviously, are there going to be hiccups? Absolutely. There aren't anything like this, but it's long overdue. What's harder, being a CEO or trying to write a book that you're doing right now? Uh, being the CEO. Um, writing the book uh, was a labor of love, and I've been giving that speech, and it's in my heart, uh, getting it down on paper, and I've got some great help with that. But, uh, you know, being a CEO is hard. You got a lot of people working for you. You got tons of competition. Uh, you got things that move to speed of lightning. Uh, you have to make decisions on the fly. Some are informed, some are uninformed. So, um, and uh, and I think the definition of CEO is evolving. And but again, the CEO is only as good as the team he's got around him or hers around him. And so, um, you got to work very hard on your culture, the value systems, the organization, how you treat those people. Um, most people now have two generations of employees. They've got the, the people that have got kids and all that. And then you've got the, you know, the, the young generation, young bucks. And so you're always constantly looking for that balance within your organization stuff. So, so it's, uh, you wear a lot of, you know, you wear a lot of, a lot of different hats as a CEO. So in that position, what's some words of wisdom that you try to pass on? Now you've shared a lot already, but do you have any other particular phrases, mottos, well, uh, or just life advice that well, you really uh, kind of focus on? I, I, and I don't remember who said this, but um, change is inevitable. Growth is optional. Choose wisely. And so this pandemic is a perfect example of that. Easiest thing would be to do is particularly, by the way, I woke up uh, the morning of March the 13th and had millions of dollars of revenue wiped out in one day. I mean, we do hundreds of events a year. Well, there are no live events and there's no sporting events. So it would have been very easy to gotten under the covers. But I was like, you know, we got a great organization, a great foundation, we got great people, we've done great work. We're just going to evolve what that means. And so um, I, I look at it as a, as long as we don't have anybody, you know, harmed or health or or you know suffer from the virus 
We're looking at it as a tremendous uh, growth opportunity. Now, nobody would have seen that, you know, and, you know, it's easy to, it's, it's hard. It's a grind mentally and psychologically, particularly we're in the service business, but I just I'm like, hey, this is going to pass. This too shall pass. Um, it's easy to be a hero in good times. Um, we're going, we know that a lot of our competitors won't make it. So that's going to create an opportunity in the marketplace. We know there's going to be a lot of great talent out there. We know there's going to be a lot of great opportunity. Let's adjust, figure out where that is. And so in having a lot of, a lot of conversations and then and try to do, try to do good, you know, treat everybody with humanity, um, try to help these kids. But, uh, you know, like I said, um, change is inevitable. Growth is optional. Choose wisely. I love that. Yeah. That hits home really does. Cause I, I think you have to be able to view that life is always changing and you've got to be able to evolve. And if you're too rigid, that's when people are going to fail, you know, from that perspective. Well, and that's a, you know, that, 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 that gives, that, that gives perfectionists, you know, fits. Starts <laughs> oh, yes, it does. Because, yes. you know, um, and this is what I tell the kids too. When you're 20, you're, you think life is linear. And life is like the great American screen machine. That's what I tell them. Uh, and that's the thread they'll hear from the speakers. The other thing is, is that you're going to get knocked off the saddle. Get back on there. And, um, you know, it's, it's really the golden rule. Just treat one another the way. Uh, and the other thing is I, I, I tell kids, I, and I wish I had learned this a lot earlier, is don't take anything personal. Like, like I used to take every no personally and offensive. And I and 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 or if I had a dispute with a client or I didn't want to pitch or something like that, because that was my desire and will to win so hard. But then I finally had to say, it's like, you know, some days people may have other things going on that they had a bad day off. Some days my ideas might not have been as good as others. And and then you just pick yourself up and 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 dust yourself off and 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 and, and keep moving forward. And so um that would that was one of the hardest lessons I I had to learn. Uh, in the real world and as a CEO. Oh, that's tough. Yeah, that is. <laughs> and I still have, you know, struggle oh, yeah. time to time. Yeah, you still have to probably have to battle that. Yeah, um, but you just learn that, you know, you don't know what somebody's going through. So that might impact their behavior or their response to you or what you're pitching them or something like that. But I'm kind of excited about the pivot that I'm making and our business is making because we're really well known as an events marketing company. But if I would call on clients and our prospects and they'd say, well, we already have an event services company that would sort of eliminate that opportunity. So now we're like, all right, what more can we add where we go back and say, yeah, we do great events. However, we do these things now. And like I said, if, if, if you, if you don't lose anybody in this pandemic, um, it's, it's changing the way people think in the professional world, because like even three months ago, ideas that I would bring to somebody, they would say, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. Now they're like, hey, maybe that wasn't so crazy. So I think it's going to sort of level the playing field for, you know, Yeah, could it give thinkers. people a different way to look and yeah. have a different lens? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm like, you know, say if I was pitching a, a, a food service company or something like that, well, their only objective at the time was driving people in that environment. And now they're like, well, okay, maybe there's some more things we need to do to, you know, create a purchase in the in-home environment or, or um, um, you know, 
have an interaction with the fan and the viewer and the sports star and dropping the food in there and an ice cold Coke or whatever that is as well. So, so it's, it's, it's definitely uh, shifted mindsets for sure. When did you fall in love with Batman? Uh, as a child. And then uh, my um, son and I kind of have a fun hobby that if we're traveling, we go try to find some Batman memorabilia. And uh, so, you know, anytime you you have to try to find ground common ground with your teenager, you take it. <laughs> That's right. What's your most prized Batman possession then? Um, well, my, my my mother threw away my bat belt a long time ago. <laughs> oh no! But I do have Thanks, Mom. <laughs> I do have a replica, you know, one to like one sixty four the, the 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 Batmobile and the vaunted Bat boat. Oh, so that's probably my. Uh, uh, you know, most uh, vaunted possession. But I mean, I'm the old timey Batman. Oh, I know the television series. I grew up on that too. You know, um, and uh, splat, bam, yeah, all of that. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the, 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 the movies never, movies never did it justice to me. But uh, but you know, like I said, it's um, you know, and and that's the other thing. I mean, I I read a lot growing up. I read comic books. You know, I I I, I read Sports Illustrated, and I still read. Uh, a lot today and to be informed. And I, and I think that's a, that's a lost gift or lost art as well. Um, you know, you get it on the phone and you're scrolling and, you know, I've, I've read, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sports books, uh, learn to read doing that, learn, um, my, um, uh, retention of it, uh, my articulation of it and, um, and that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of opportunity out there. Love it. Vince. Thank you so much. I greatly appreciate it. This is fantastic. You're welcome. Even though we all know that the world continues to change each and every day, but not everyone has the mindset to truly embrace the times when you need to make a pivot in life and not only embrace it, but you can't be afraid to try. And as Vince has shown, he's never been afraid to take his shot because true failure is only failure to try. Now that finishes episode 138, and you can also watch some of our episodes by visiting our Rich Take on Sports YouTube channel. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Takes Sports. Thanks for listening.